Welcome to the InfoSec Prep Podcast. This is episode 0x02, and our not sponsor for today's video is NordVPN. Use literally any code for 70% off. And now, on to our news topics. The first topic will be the Earnit Act. Prepare for another attack on encryption in the U.S. They are trying to get companies to give out the encryption keys for the children. What is your thoughts? <laughs> this is Tiberius. Um, I mean, this is like, they do this every like two years, it feels like, right? And it's always a new excuse. Well, I think they're just trying to sneak it by with Corona. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen. Like, even if it does happen, it's like you can't. You just you just can't stop encryption. It's like math. So it would be like honestly, like you know, banning multiplication. It's, it's it really is that dumb. Yeah, this is evil mog. It seems we went through this back when you know you could do RSA in two lines of pearl, and my T-shirt used to be ammunitions. Like you're not going to stop this. That's like Jerry's age old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerry knows more about this, I think. Um, well, I presume. I mean, I pretended to have a bit about this because I do deal with Team Hashcat, etc. I mean, there's two things you never do. Roll your own cryptography or try and uh, stop it. Either way, it's not going to happen. It's like banning division because effectively all encryption, or at least all public key encryption comes down to yeah, modulo, which basically division and clock math. So I mean, banning basic fundamental principles of math aren't isn't going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, the U.S. is the dark ages, though. So, <laughs> and that brings us into our next perfect topic: Zoom rolling their own crypto. <laughs> like nothing surprises me when I see the like Zoom in the headlines anymore. <laughs> well, we just... all know crypto means crypto or cri means uh, cryptocurrency, right? Not cryptography, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, that is. The, so that they're that rolling the their, their cryptocurrency into crypto coin. <laughs> Next thing you know, your Zoom meetings leaves powered by the blockchain with AI and machine. I thought it already was. It started the next best thing to the entire world everyone's on it despite the fact that you know it has a bug every couple of days allegedly and while they're at it they're also sending your encryption keys to china <laughs> yeah well i mean how is that any different from china every once in a while changing the global bgp tables to have all the traffic running through china <laughs> i i just think it's it's honestly amusing because my company uses zoom right now um and we moved over from WebEx, and it's just, it's just funny just seeing what a dumpster fire Zoom's turned into over like the past two weeks. It seems like I mean, it's just every day there's something new. To be fair, Zoom does fix their bugs, so it's only a semi dumpster fire. <laughs> right, that is true. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the bugs like were features that you know they just didn't tell people about. Like I, I still remember. I think it was it wasn't even like two months ago. On Mac, if you installed Zoom, it would literally install an internal web server. What? Just just so that when you would load like a Zoom meeting URL, the page would include code that hit that web server, and then the web server would say, "Oh, let's open the meeting," because they they yeah, didn't, didn't want people on Mac to have like a pop up that said, "Do you want to open this in Zoom?" 
<laughs> so oh. it was like, I mean, it's it's don't get me wrong, it's a genius way of getting around that particular restriction. It's just hilarious. Didn't they also have a macOS local privilege escalation? They did. They took advantage of it. So it's not that they like had one in their software. It's just they actually exploited it. Like it was legit a, a a bug in Mac that they exploited, enabled to install like have their installer install without admin privileges. See, that sounds like a feature, not a bug to me. <laughs> right. That depends on who's asking. <laughs> it's shellcode as a service. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? I mean, we got all kinds of stuff for Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> we Zoom could, removes could, code could... that sends data to Facebook. Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> like, what I else mean... is there to talk about, really? <laughs> if you're Everybody not sending... sends data to Facebook. Right, if you're not sending you... face data to Facebook these days, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Zoom relocates code that sends, sends data to Facebook. And then there's also that Zoom UNC path vulnerability, if you can call it. That's not a vulnerability. That's just standard user side, yeah, you know, redirection kind of yeah you know, stuff. Yeah, you know, Windows by design will send you the credentials. That's like calling. Yeah, it's it's a feature. Like it's an undocumented feature, but it's still a freaking feature. It depends. I mean, Discord. You can't do it in Discord. They. It was the. I think it's the way that. Um, they were passing the URL, right? They used some mm -hmm. kind of Windows process. And it was Windows I don't itself, think right? it's... The thing itself is a vulnerability, but it should be blocked by Zoom, but that would be lack of a... Yeah, it's a misconfiguration. Abusing a feature or some such. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's abusing a built-in protocol. It's how half the pen testers get, you know, hashes all day long and then relay them. <laughs> I thought we just used Armitage Hail Mary. <laughs> That's just you, Emma. Hey, I use that on my exam. Okay. <laughs> While U.S. fights COVID-19, 83% of healthcare systems run outdated software as a surprise to no one. Yeah, well, well yeah, I mean, isn't there still, like, ventilators still running Windows XP and possibly getting MS-08067 or MS-17010 Eternal Blue? It would not surprise me. I'm actually surprised it's as low as 83%. Like, that's that's the only surprising thing about that headline. Because <laughs> hospitals, the problem with hospitals is so many computers, and they just don't have, a lot of the time, the IT department Why the funds to even upgrade Why are 2% running Windows 8? Dude, you know, here's the thing. You've got CNC machines around the world running Windows XP, You've got life support equipment running Windows NT 4.0, and there's still some Windows CE running someone's insulin pump. Like, this stuff was built, you know, decades ago, and it's never getting patched, mostly because they can't replace the half-million-dollar machine it's connected to. That's true. The only way you deal with this stuff is you isolate the hell out of it, treat it like IoT SCADA, you know, quarantine it like the nasty COVID virus it is, and let nothing in the isolation room. That's still breachable. Stucks and it happens. Oh, I mean, you know, it's guaranteed to be breachable, but, you know, here's the thing. Would you rather protect yourself against, you know, 
the best of the best, or at least get 90% of the script kitties because they're going to move on. People are opportunistic. That's true. Make yourself the not the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean, it's like my best friend once said, if you're running from a tiger with your best friend, who do you need to outrun, the tiger or your best friend? <laughs> well, it's a good one. Fair enough. In uh, surprise to no one as well, CEO of the hacking firm NSO says that representatives from Facebook approached his company to try and buy parts of NSO's phone spying software to monitor its own users. I mean, yeah, Facebook does bad stuff. <laughs> That's not <laughs> well, new. Facebook's That's not known as trying to hack its own users. That's uh, a different thing. I would beg to <laughs> are, are they still developing their own mobile OS? Wait, they were doing that? Yeah, yeah, they totally still are. They, it's called iOS, but it's spelled E-Y-E-O-S. And they, they started developing it because Android was too restrictive on the things that they could monitor. Yeah. Didn't they also... I mean, what do you... They also released an app, I think it was in India, that gave internet access to people, but only to Facebook. Like, wow! It, was, it, it, it might not be India; it might be some other country in Asia. But it was like yeah. they they were like, "Okay, yeah, you don't, guys don't have like internet on your phones, but we'll give you free internet on your phones as long as you use it to browse Facebook." So it's like, yeah, they they I, I mean, I guess they don't actively hack their users, but it really depends on what you call I mean, hacking. <laughs> what do you expect from a company that started for the sole purpose of? Collecting photographs of hot girls and rating them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the guy who did that is still the head of the company. Right? Yeah. Nothing has changed there. Yeah, it was and, a weird time back then. And in other news, still a weird folding, <clears throat> folding at home has surpassed a ton of supercomputers and is doing good stuff. That's good. <laughs> good for people. Good work, news. everybody. We still have one more. And oh, okay. Alice and Bob turn 43 from the original um, paper of method crypto. Well, Read the good. show notes. <laughs> so, well, Alice and Bob for the original, original crypto paper, they're now 43 years old. Yes. Perfect. Happy birthday to them. But how old is Mallory and Eve? I need to How old is John Doe? <laughs> Four twenty. <laughs> All right. So, and now onto our guest. Well, we got server news first. We have news. <laughs> I think the only news we have is that we removed a few channels that that would like just random. Um, so I think we we removed like we merged a few of the news channels, right? Um, we had an attempt at a ephemeral channel that did not work. Um, and found a vulnerability in Falcon's bot that let us load. What? I remember how we were able to load code into his bot. I've Anyways, been asleep for that. I don't remember that. Yeah, what's a code injection vulnerability be for, or between friends? <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
So um, I guess before we talk about uh, our current guest, we need another little uh, not sponsored by NordVPN snippet. Uh, so NordVPN, we only got hacked that one time that you know of. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have our guest this week is Evil Mog. He's part of Team Hashcat, manager of Windows Tooling and Ops at IBM X-Force. Um, and yeah, he's he's going to talk to us. I believe the title of his talk is Keys to the Kingdom Through Print Spooler. Yes. So hi, nice to meet you all. I'm Evil Mog, Bishop of the Church of Wi-Fi, member of Team Hashcat. I hack shit for X-Force Red. And occasionally I like to pull shenanigans like parachuting stuffed animals from various buildings. <laughs> today, today we're going to talk to you about the print spooler and how it can be abused to give you complete control of an active director domain in 20 minutes or less or your money back not really uh, if you want your money back talk to nordvpn um, <laughs> <laughs> now to exploit this vulnerability you need to understand a very interesting attack primitive that was discovered by tifkin of specter ops there what this vulnerability is is effectively there is any almost Every computer on the domain, by default, runs a print spooler. And its primary purpose, even on domain controllers, is to go update the printer list every time you guys add a new printer. Easy enough, and also remove the old ones. What people don't realize is that any regular user can talk to any server over SMB, meaning port 445, and trigger what's called an MSRPRN printer notify service. What this does is, the machine you talk to and you authenticate with your regular user creds will communicate to a host of your choice with its machine active directory account credentials. Now this will exchange on something called NTLM version two or version one, rather than its primary NTLM hash. If it authenticates via NTLM version two, you can do a couple of evil things like relay it to another server. If it has server admin rights. You know, this is common in things like SCCM, but that's not the topic of the evil we can do today. A lot of Active Directory domains have a setting that controls what level of authentication systems can use. It ranges all the way down from zero all the way up to, I believe, five is the max setting. It's called the LM compatibility setting. So at its base three levels, it determines if you can talk over Landman, NTLM version one, and what fields are present. What we've discovered is, if you you know find a machine that has a lax setting, you can force it to downgrade from NTLM version two to NTLM version one via this printer notifier setting. So when it talks to you, you say, "Yeah, I'm an old Windows XP machine. Talk to me in NTLM version one as a part of your Type One challenge." It'll authenticate to you as this machine account with NTLM version one. Now, oddly enough, a great man named Moxie Marlin Spike discovered if you crack certain Des hashes, you can then reverse an NTLM hash version one to an NTLM. Now the tooling for ages hasn't been there until everyone's discovered things like crack.sh. Now crack.sh takes pre-formatted hashes in their proprietary cracking format and cracks them. But I've discovered that, you know, along with the rest of the team Hashcat, that you can actually crack these NTLM version one hashes with Hashcat only the, the nice part about this is I don't need to know what the actual password is. So you can have a 128 character password. This will reverse an NTLM version one hash to an NTLM hash. Now I've released a multi-tool in my GitHub, which I'll publish along with this, along with the write-up that I've already got as to how we actually 
go through the process. But for you readers listening, just know that if you get an NTLM version one hash, you can get a passable NTLM hash. And if you're using it with Hashcat with say, let's call it 32 GPUs, it'll take you about a week. Or if there's a certain challenge set of 11223344556677888, and there's a landman field present, which means it's not going to trigger tools or things like SSP protections on the NTLM version one. You know, you can then reverse it in about 15 minutes with cracks.sh and some tooling from my GitHub without having to use Hashcat. Or you pay a couple thousand dollars and you crack it on cloud, do what you want to do. So the nice part is once you have an NTLM version one hash, you can do very evil things with it. Things like create a silver ticket. So let's say we've decided to talk to a domain controller. Domain controller talks back to us. We've convinced to talk to us in NTLM version one. We've reversed it to an NTLM hash. You know, bingo, bango, Martha Stewart style, you know, that's the way it is. With that NTLM version one hash of a domain controller machine account, you can craft a silver ticket. Now what a silver ticket is, is it, it's a Kerberos ticket that'll allow you to authenticate as any user on that host machine. Because you're basically signing as the DC, you set your SPN to like SIF slash the domain controller name, and you set the admin name to any of your admins, type a couple of extra SIDs on the list, give it the domain SID, which you can get from enum for Linux. Bingo, you've created yourself a silver ticket that's usable with secrets dump, and you can DC sync the domain controller without starting with just regular user credentials. Now, assuming you can't get a DC, but you can get a regular user account or a regular machine somewhere with a trust relationship in Bloodhound, you talk to that machine. If it talks NTLM version one back, bang, you can do its piece. So doing this host by host is kind of a pain in the butt. What you can do is use Bloodhound to generate a complete list of every machine in the system or in the Active Directory, run some Nmap on it, make sure all the machines are talking, grep out the ones that are actually there, feed that through a Python tool called Dementor with any kind of regular user credentials. Yeah. You authenticate to every single machine in the domain. They all talk back to you. And because it's a valid authentication, it won't flip off a SIM. All these machines communicate back. You triage for the ones that speak NTLM version one. You do your reverse and you're signing tickets all day long. You've now taken over a domain in less than 20 minutes and you haven't even used a single exploit. Because this is a protocol functionality built into Windows, not a bug. There is no, well, there is a CV, but there is no hotfix for this. Damn. And that would be the, <laughs> the gist of the evil. I use this on engagements, and we get 75% completion rates on most Active Directory domains in production today. And it leads to complete and utter decimation of their domain. God. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Wow. So can you run quickly over, so what are the requirements for this to work? Or I the requirements say, the for this requirements to work is, to work? <laughs> yeah, so the basic needs of what you need to make this work is you need a landman compatibility setting in your group policy of three or below, which allows you to authenticate with an NTLM version one on any host machine somewhere. And that's only specifically for the NTLM version one to NTLM reversion piece. If you have a machine with um, like SMB signing off and it's got admin over another machine, you can use this technique, this primitive as well to go again admin over that other machine without using the NTLM reversion. But basically you just need a Kali box on the network that can talk over SMB, a regular user credential with zero privs like member of domain users, 
and a machine somewhere on the network with that compatibility level set lower than four. So not much. Then. And, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's and so, funny. so what measures could somebody uh, have in place to to mitigate this? All right. So the good news is the CIS benchmarks. If you're following them today requires a landman compatibility setting as the maximum setting. So what that does is it says only talk landman or NTLM version two, reject NTLM version one authentication, but don't send out a request to NTLM version one requests, and that will disable this entire bug. Now, there are a couple other things you can do to stop this. Um, the number one thing actually to prevent things like the relaying is your domain controllers listen on port 445. That's normal. Domain controllers need to talk to other domain controllers over SIFs, SysVol, et cetera, to keep SysVol operating. So you set a firewall rule that says all your DCs can talk to all your DCs. You add a next firewall rule in that says all your hosts can talk to your DCs. Then you do a firewall deny rule that says your DC cannot talk to a host over 445. That will stop the bug. Um, same thing with your exchange or any of the other high security systems that have ridiculous levels of access. Because there's also the exchange bug that is patched as of about a year ago now, or six months ago now, might be a year, where if you have a regular user credential on the box, you can force machine to, or if you have a mailbox, you can force exchange to authenticate to you as this exchange account, similar style bug. You can relay that if you wanted to. So the thing is, don't let your high powered machines talk to you or talk to your endpoints over port 445, allow inbound only. That'll stop a number of them. The group policy fix will fix the rest. Also, if you want to go defend your networks, make sure you have your network set up such that you are blocking and or monitoring heavily um, SIFs slash RPCs, so ports 137, 139, 445. Also, make sure you're watching WinRM and you're disallowing access to hosts based on um, yeah, if they're in a min box, they can talk to they can talk on WinRM, but if there's the regular user box, you block it. And the reason for that is there's a tool called Evil WinRM that lets you, when it's configured correctly, load up things like DLLs live in memory without ever touching disk. So like Sharp Split, for example, and it bypasses um, the AV. So make sure you block those kind of ports unless you are legitimately using a management host to manage them. If your Kali box can't talk on 5985-5986-445-139-137, you're not going to be able to talk to the Windows box unless you're talking over like 1433 on MySQL. Isn't there a way for your SIM to know like, oh, if this user tries to authenticate to the whole network, send an alert? Well, there is, but it's not like it's doing like a access the box. It's doing like a printer auth, which is slightly different from say, like you'll see it on SMB, but half your IDSs won't pick it up. And by the time your SIM picks it up, you've already looted this DC anyways. Fair enough. I mean, this is definitely not OPSEC safe though. Like if you're trying to do this in a red team engagement, you will probably get caught. Um, however, I did do this on a environment with heavy EDR in place and it still worked. I guess everyone will use their printers. Yeah, so your printers are, the other thing you can do is you can disable the print spooler service, but then you're gonna run into problems like the DC is not updating the right system. So you gotta just make sure your printers stay up to date with the other processes. So Printing guess... out domain caches. 
So I guess how was how was this research like? How did this start? What actually led you to this? So how it started originally was I was writing a multi-tool for reversing NTLM version one to NTLM hashes years ago. Problem was I didn't actually have a legitimate use for this like at all. I just figured, okay, this is a new shiny toy. I'm automating some existing research. We'll call her a day. And then last DerbyCon, Tifkin mentioned this whole piece. Actually, it was a bit before that. Um, I was you know, chatting around on a different hacker Slack we have, and not Medic brought it up. He's like, hey, did you see this whole attack chain? And then I ran to Tifkin at DerbyCon. We exchanged some details. Then I, you know, then we, this turned into a blog post about a year ago on not Medic site using my tool plus his tool plus Tifkin's tool. And now I'm just finally getting around telling everybody about it because this is probably one of the most deadly hidden in things in your environments. Yeah, I mean, it sounds <laughs> ridiculously dangerous. Um, and you said you got like a 75% success rate. Yes. Okay. On so... most active directory environments we walk into, we're penetrating this first time we walk in and we're walking out like that so the whole engagement is usually over in a day we'll still do the other stuff but yeah most environments your engagement's over before launch this is worse than the original responder stuff that we used to abuse back in the day yeah it sounds it um so i guess the 25 percent. what were they why, why were they different were they were they doing the things that you were saying like firewall rules or they were they monitoring or uh, th um well the nice part is this attack chain is so super brittle and that if you have you know, all your hosts set and you audited all your group policy settings to have the landman compatibility set to require NTLM version two, which has been standard practice for ages, um, that also stops things like drop the MIC two and a few of the other bugs with message integrity codes coming out. So by forcing that highest level landman compatibility setting, um, that's been stopping this completely that and the throwing on things like smb signing ldap channel binding you know, all the usual relay protections you do with ntlm version 2 that's yeah they were usually places like that they had windows defender with you know server 2016 and uh you know ata and atp and the whole nine awesome yeah, so it sounds like really good research. And you say you, so you got tools for exploiting every single part of it, and they're going to be on your GitHub. We'll uh, we'll share. Yeah, there's actually a, yeah, there's already a GitHub up right now that shows exactly how to execute the whole chain. So I'm just going to reference not Medics because his write-up's pretty good. I was adding on the write-ups on to how in detail how the NTLM version one piece works, as well as some videos. Awesome. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll link to to your code uh, and any write-ups you send us. Obviously, we'll uh, we'll link it in the the podcast description. But Perfect. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice having like a new attack, um, especially on Windows domains. Uh, oh, and I'm hoping somebody can go into the OSCP labs and let me know if this works in the OSCP labs because I'm freaking curious. I haven't done my OSCP since PWK back in 2010, <laughs> so it's been a while. PWB. PWB. Yeah. Sorry, yes. PWB version five. Back then, it was. God, I, that exam was actually relatively easy. I guess the question is, would this technically count as spoofing? Well, it's kind of a it. spoofing. Like, yeah. you're allowed to do it. You're using a existing credential. So you can, like, there's regular user creds you can get out of the ID domain. Um, yeah, I'm sure it'll work in the lab. You're just authenticating to a host and telling it to talk back to you. Fair enough. I guess, yeah. Hopefully, maybe someone will, will try it 
uh, <laughs> uh, providing it's a, it's uh, within the rules. I know Offsec have uh, some some pretty specific rules about their environment, but uh, we'll see. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if they let us attack EFW proxy, I, I'm sure this will be fine. Yeah, usually spoofing is limited to network spoofing. They don't want you doing yeah. ARP or DNS spoofing. Yeah, and this isn't ARP. This isn't DNS. This is, hey, I have an IP. I'm going to authenticate to you. And then in the authentication message, it tells you the host you're going to send the reply back to. So there's no... The only thing is you need to set up a responder in such a way that it's got all the layer two shit turned off. And it's not it's not student to student, so... No. Yeah. I mean, if you misconfigure responder and you turn it on the student network, oh my god, they're going to ban you so fast, it's not even funny. <laughs> so make sure you yes. configure your stuff correctly. Also, as we Experience? all know, don't, don't enable it in the exam either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do they even give you AD in the exam? I mean, that would run out of the answer for OPSEC reasons, but it's, I'd be curious. It's kind of a, it's a server joke. So one of the students, because they were already a pen tester, and it was like muscle memory, they just started enabling Responder in their exam, and it took mm -hmm. off, it took OPSEC, I think, 55 days to mark their exam. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing something triggered uh, on their network. That's funny. Yeah, so that was uh, that was fun. But he passed, so that's good. <laughs> you know, that's always the good thing. You, the the OPSEC exams are kind of hit and miss. Like, I failed my OSCE like seven times due to one bug and a screenshot issue on my final one. My final attempt, I did it in eight hours. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I've there's so many stories of people failing OSCE, OPSEC exams for like really dumb reasons. Um, <laughs> you could probably create a whole book about I, it. I fell asleep due to pure exhaustion while I was writing my report for my OSWE back in uh, in February, and uh, woke up with four hours left to write it and oh, submitted no. it ten minutes after my twenty four hours. Yeah, and uh, for the next hour until they wrote back saying that they had received it and were marking it, I was uh, a little anxious. Really. Yeah. And you know, I wish they'd let us sponsor. Yeah, go ahead. NordVPN, master keyboard for 70% off. <laughs> I mean, they should let us write old OPSEC exams on live streams while we're drunk and then let us videotape and stream that out for folks, because that'd be funny. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm pretty sure they, they retired. The they retired? The labs. Yeah. It's well, there was that big breach. There's some hack the box boxes that are like exact dupe. Okay, so I'll find those and I'm gonna go write those as like a I'm a drunk, like here is some guy who wrote his exam ten years ago and we'll do the whole damn thing live swearing and everything. <laughs> I fully support this. <laughs> Let's do it for charity. <laughs> sure. Um actually I love charity. And here's the cool part. DerbyCon. I know everyone likes to mock them a little bit. When they were running the amount of charity we like raised money for it was crazy like the whole trevor t roach and his kids college fund raised like three hundred thousand dollars for puerto rico wow nice that was awesome well yeah so uh thank you very much evil mog for uh for joining us uh it's been a yeah, really, really problem. educational talk um definitely something i think everyone should uh should look into especially if you're attacking windows networks on the regular or defending Windows networks on the or regular. Or defending them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, this is more useful for defensive things. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I think everyone defensive should go offensive just a little bit and then go back or vice versa. I mean, if you don't know how to attack networks, how can you learn how to defend them? That is true. Words of wisdom from Evil Mog. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. Um, we will be back in roughly a month, I guess, <laughs> or whenever we put these out uh, with another Who episode. Who knows? Corona. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're all bored. <laughs>